Hey, you're listening to Works at Home, the podcast. I'm your host, Esmeralda, the home birth doula. And today we are going to hear from a guest. Her name is Debbie, and she is an aspiring doula in training. She is going to tell us about how she got into home birth and her home birth story with her now two-year-old. So let's get Debbie on and listen to her story. Thanks for coming on. If you just want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself so that everyone listening can know who you are. Okay. Um, I'm uh, Debbie Friedel. My husband is, we've been married for almost 17 years. That's us right there. Um, We have three children. I'm a stay-at-home homeschool mom. And... So we've been living on one income for a long time. Um, I, my first is, he just turned 15. Oh, wow. And my youngest is two. So, um, lots of years without babies in between, Mm -hmm. not understanding why, but (laughs) yeah, we, we figured it out and I'll, I'll be 40 on Friday actually. So, oh, wow. Awesome. I love that. So I am a doula and I'm a doula in training. So um, with elite doula and company. So I'm I'm working through that. It's a long process because it's an all encompassed um, training. So -hmm. it's not just labor, it's birth education and and, um, bereavement and all all the things that doulas can do. I'll be trained in it. I just have to figure out where my niche is. Yeah, definitely. I love that. And how did you get into kind of the birth work? Did you get into the doula side first or the home birth side first? The home birth side first because, (laughs) um, so my first two, my first was induced because um, pre-ruptured membranes. I lost all the water and they were like, oh, we need to start Pitocin. So Mm -hmm. I went to the hospital like you're supposed to you know 24 hours to get the baby out yeah and uh ended up ask begging for a c-section because I pushed for two hours and that baby wasn't going anywhere mm-hmm. um it only took me 10 years to figure out that that wasn't the way it was supposed to go um so my second one was a scheduled c-section um my first one was almost 10 pounds 23 inches oh, long. Wow. So he was a giant baby. They pushed him out of the OR and said, congratulations, you had a toddler. <laughs> um, so that was part of my process for um, saying it was okay that I had to have a C-section because the stories of shoulder dystocia and, and vacuum births and things like that, it made me fearful of what could have happened if I had continued mm-hmm. to push a 10 pound baby with a 15 inch head. You know, it it was always, it's okay. It was in God's plan that I had to have a C-section, but then, um, I started learning more and more and I was like, maybe it wasn't, Mm -hmm. but God worked it for good because I serve him and I love him. So Mm -hmm. I, I learned a lot after 10 years. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, um, I actually, in 2018, I started working with a functional wellness nutritionist. Um, 
she wasn't a doctor at the time she is now um but not only was my progesterone in the toilet but i was never diagnosed with a thyroid problem i had a thyroid problem all the things that could go wrong with a female body in their 30s that's what i had going on for me um so within six months of being on progesterone with her um i got pregnant and then wow. i miscarried miscarried mm -hmm. at eight weeks and then um it was very early so I went to the OB that I was, um, I guess somebody had referred me over to doctor, the doctor over in Statesville and I was with him. And um, by that point, the test had come back negative. So they didn't even see that mm -hmm. I had been pregnant. Um, yeah. But then I got pregnant again in September and I was over the moon, ready, you know, rainbow baby, this is the one. Um, so I, I got in with the same OB that had taken care of the last um, miscarriage and everything was great. I went in for my 16th, uh, 16 week appointment and he started looking for the heart rate, uh, the mm -hmm. heartbeat, and he couldn't find it with a Doppler. So he's like, okay, no big deal. We'll just get the ultrasound in here and make sure everything is okay. Um, there was no blood flow. His heart had stopped just a few days before. Um, so I was all alone at that appointment. I was not expecting oh, to have no. to be there and get that news all by myself. So I called my husband and we made plans. We had my grandmother take our older two kids and we had to go to the hospital. Um, so I gave birth to my sleeping baby. And he was palm in my hand. Mm -hmm. So perfect, his little ears, his little hands, his little fingers, everything about him mm -hmm. was absolutely perfect. Um, the We guess that my progesterone was just too low because okay. the placenta, he, he did a partial DNC in the room instead of taking mm -hmm. me to the OR. He just did it inside the room with sterile equipment. And he, he said he was looking for the rest of the placenta because he... Mm -hmm he just said it was too small and he thought it was coming out in pieces, but that's just it. There was no more placenta. Okay. So, um, I knew that even though he told me at 12 weeks that it made no difference how much progesterone I took after 12 weeks, that it wouldn't make a difference. It, it made all the difference in my mm -hmm. subsequent pregnancy to be on progesterone for 37 weeks because okay. my, my body, whether it's my age or, my nutrition, whatever it is, my body was just not ready to let the placenta take over progesterone production until later on in the pregnancy. Okay. And I wasn't preg I wasn't comfortable getting off of it until my midwife said, okay, you're good. Yeah. Um, so the reason I went for home birth is my the OB that took care of that stillborn, his name was Dawson. He was my little angel baby now. Um, so that OB got on board with the only birth center left in North Carolina now. So he's okay. like the OB in charge of the home birth, or not home birth, the birthing center over mm -hmm. in Statesville. Um, when I called, I was six weeks, I mean, four or five weeks pregnant. I was not very pregnant at all. Um, mm -hmm. you just know when you've been through loss, you know, when you're pregnant and you're like, okay, I need to make sure the baby's okay. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to get in with offices and nobody will accept me because it's too early. They don't want to see me till eight or nine weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to make sure everything's okay. Like, yeah, there's something I need to do to make sure my baby stays in my belly. Um, so I called over to the birthing center and I said, hi, Dr. Corsi was my, um, my doctor. I need to be able to see him. And they said, I'm sorry, he doesn't take V-backs. Um, he only takes two V-backs a month. Mm-hmm. My due date was September 4th. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm like, hmm, you don't have any V-backs scheduled for September? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> like, there's something that was red flagging them from what I told them that they didn't want to take me on. Mm-hmm. So I went, I went to my functional wellness um, practitioner. She made the phone call. She said, you saw her through her miscarriages. So I need you to see her as a patient now. Mm -hmm. So she kind of pushed me in as a patient. Um, the, it was 2021. So everyone's like the medical field is all mask, mask, masks. Yeah. I'll take it off. Like I was alone in the room all by myself. I'm not allowed to take off the mask. I was like, Mm -hmm. you don't understand. (laughs) Um, so the the service I got as a patient, face to face with the nurses, with the OB, just it was not friendly at all. Mm-hmm. It was they were not caring. It was like I was just a number coming in to the office, especially yeah. because I was V back and not a midwife client. Um, they're like, you're just gonna have to do it at the hospital. You have to do this. You have to do that. And I was like, don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the final straw for me was at my 18 week scan. Um, you know, I had been through two miscarriages. It's one at 16 mm-hmm. weeks. I was like, I want to know that my baby's okay. And yeah. she, the ultrasound tech was so cold. She didn't give mm-hmm. me any information. She just started doing it and then she would like flip the screen and, and let me see, but she I wouldn't I wasn't able to take off my mask and I had to wait on her to say okay there's the heart you know she wouldn't she wouldn't give me any information she's so cold I was like Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure my baby's alive yeah Um, and then I went into the um the room with the nurse and I started going over some things that I wanted to make sure they were on board with with my birth plan Mm -hmm. I said um I don't want to do gestational diabetes test just because I'm fat doesn't mean I have I'm I'm at more risk than anyone else and I haven't had a history of it mm-hmm. um so I wanted to pass that I'll do a glucose monitoring which is what I ended up doing um and then GBS testing with my first two births they flagged me as GBS positive but I know I was not positive at the time of birth so mm-hmm. it in my head at 37 weeks, you can't say that I'm positive for something and say, you have to go through this, the antibiotics, and your child has to get antibiotics just because of a test that could be negative or positive three weeks later. Yeah. Um, so it didn't make sense in my mind. And I was only 18 weeks. It's not like they didn't have time to inform me and, and you know, try to talk me over to their side of things. The yeah. very first response I got from the nurse was, oh, no, you can't do that. She didn't care about the gestational <laughs> diabetes. She said, oh, if you don't GBS test, we'll have to put your baby in isolation. Oh, my gosh. 
like, my baby. You just said it was my baby. Uh-huh. You'd be putting my baby in isolation because I refused to test. <laughs> and it's not like I wouldn't be on board with antibiotics if I felt like it was necessary at the time. But like, they're already yeah. like closing my box in that I can't do things that I mm-hmm. feel is more necessary. Yeah. I mean, after after you lose a baby, especially in the second trimester, you're like, what went wrong? You know, mm-hmm. I went down the rabbit hole. It's like, what did I do? What did the did my care provider do? And it opened up an entire world that I didn't know was there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just at 18 weeks, I looked at the OB after he came in. I was like, I think I'm going to research home birth. And um, would you be on board with concurrent care? Because as far as I know, a lot of first time, second time moms that are low risk, they're mm-hmm. able to do concurrent care with their provider, you know, along yeah. with the home birth. In North Carolina, you're not supposed to have a, an assisted home birth. It's illegal somehow. Um, my midwife, it was very important that I knew that she wasn't licensed and that she isn't licensed because it would be considered a felony if she was caught and some mm-hmm. misdemeanor if she's not licensed. So she's at less risk not being licensed here in North Carolina. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So I, as soon as I said the word home birth, he put his hands up and he said, I'm done. Mm-hmm. You're no longer my patient. Mm-hmm. He sent me a certified letter saying that I was discharged from the practice for uh, ignoring medical advice. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I got on the phone. Well, actually, I got on Facebook mm-hmm. <laughs> on an earthly wellness uh, post. Okay. And uh, they were posting something about postpartum or something. And I was just kind of venting, like, I wish this information had been available when my my oldest, when I was pregnant with my oldest, I would have probably been more on board with questioning the system and and doing what was best for him at the time um and somebody from chapel hill had private messaged me and said hey this is my midwife maybe you can get in touch with her and i'm on like the opposite side of i'm I'm in the foothills of north carolina so raleigh and we're about three or four uh hours apart so i got in touch with that midwife and she's like you're right on the outside of my service area. So let me get you to this midwife. And okay. she got me in touch with her and mama was like, she was a godsend. I got on the mm-hmm. phone with her. I started explaining to her my situation, my, my losses. This is my fifth pregnancy. I'm 37. So like on top of having two C-sections and being overweight, I'm also 37. So I'm like in the highest risk bracket that, the medical system puts on you right mm-hmm. um she's like let's do it <laughs> <laughs> i said yes when can we meet so we went till i took my husband with me to lunch with her and every worry that he had she was able to answer all his questions and just put him at ease and mm-hmm. i was already like this is the only way i can do this because i want yeah. to birth baby I don't want to be in a C uh, don't want to have a c-section forced on me because there's no one in the area I called all the OB offices your VBAC candidate nope we we don't do VBACs here we don't do VBACs here that's really all I got in an Mm -hmm. hour circumference from where I live um yeah all the OBs said nope we don't do VBACs 
not even on a case-by-case basis like they didn't even want to interview me before they found out you know all the other stuff nope so um I was so thankful to find her um Mm -hmm. so the prenatal care by itself was like night and day I didn't realize that I I was going to be able to sit in her office with her and her uh, apprentices for an hour, hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And we just, we were able to break down all of my past records. And in that breaking, I've never read my, my medical records before. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't, as far as complications are concerned, like I had healthy babies. Yeah. So there was no reason for me to get a copy of my medical records and read through them to make sure everything was good. Um, I should have. Because <laughs> um, so my oldest was 13 at the time. I found out that in my medical records, they um, they lied about a prescription they put me on. Um, they had put me on Valtrex uh, at week 36 with my first mm-hmm. because I had a lesion and they wanted to make sure that it wasn't genital herpes. Oh, wow. Even though the blood test had come back negative. I was like, if the blood test was negative, why are you treating me for genital herpes if I don't have yeah. genital herpes? And, and like the midwife tried to validate herself inside my medical mm-hmm. records, like telling, putting inside there that I wasn't understanding what she was trying to say. So that was like the red flag number one. Like, no wonder somebody gets a hold of my records and reads that, and I'm already a non-compliant patient there, you know. Yeah. And then uh, read about the birth. Um, the doctor wrote that I pushed for one hour, which was a lie. I pushed for two. Uh huh. Um, and then that I patient requested C-section due to poor maternal effort. <sighs> yeah. I love when they blame it on the woman it was all my fault fault. you know because I asked for them to turn off the epidural while I was back laboring and pushing Mm -hmm. on my back um the nurse just came in and said oh we're gonna turn this off so you feel when to push I'm like I don't know (laughs) how it works but I didn't ask questions because you know Mm -hmm. they knew better yeah um but when I read that 13 years later I was like how are they able to do this to women? It's mm-hmm. like, no wonder nobody wants to see me as a patient. Yeah. They think I can't handle childbirth. Mm-hmm. You can't tell, but I'm a, I'm a natural redhead. Like my pain. <laughs> I mean, not that it's a thing during birth, but like if they had given me a chance to actually yeah. labor the way I should have, like go into labor naturally. I, I know now because mm-hmm. I've been through it. Yeah. That I could have home birthed or at least unmedicated birth, my first baby without mm-hmm. any issues. Um, so um, I was due September 4th. Um, at 37 weeks, my midwife said, um, you need to go ahead and get off progesterone because mm-hmm. if you're still on progesterone while you're full term, um, it can actually prolong labor from starting. Um mm-hmm. So you want those levels a little lower when the labor is starting to begin. So I I was waiting. I was like 40 weeks. My water broke with my first at 40 Mm -hmm. weeks, like the day before I was 40 weeks. So, and it was pop and gush. It was, I I, I knew. Um, So I was a waiting, it was a waiting game, like trying not to get, um, I know a lot of women first time, especially it was like, 
it, it, it we're at 40 weeks we need to have a baby now like we need to do everything it takes to get a baby the only yeah. thing i did to try to naturally induce was acupre- acupuncture um okay. chiropractic and acupuncture and she even said she said this only works if your body is ready to labor yeah so i did it three times that week and nothing <laughs> <laughs> so it was like okay it's not gonna start on its own um so 30 was it 40 weeks five days um started having contractions I called the midwife to the house and she sat there with me we monitored every 10 to 15 minutes and it just petered out <laughs> like mm. nothing happened yeah um, we weren't even sure if my water had broken. The test strips would not give us a conclusive answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wait. He had he waited two more days, and then <laughs> he went into he he said it's time to go, mom. So it started around two p.m. Called my husband. I said it's it's starting for real this time. <laughs> I can tell there's a, there's a big difference. Mm-hmm. So I was taking the tinctures that the midwife had given me. Um, and by seven o'clock, it was to the point where during a contraction, I couldn't talk. So Mm -hmm. my husband called the midwife. She didn't show up till two, two hours later, but she was an hour away anyway. Um, so I just, I I had done hypnobirthing, uh, hypnobabies in order to prep for birth. So my mindset was already like, just breathe, let the contractions come over you. Mm-hmm. Um, so contractions were no big deal. <laughs> I didn't feel any pain through any of them. It just was, it took all of me to be inside myself and just let them roll over. Yeah. Um, so we got the pool set up, uh, midwife and all four, um, all three of her apprentices were there with me. So it's like mm-hmm. four birth attendants plus my husband and me, um, we set up the birth pool um transition hit like mm-hmm. I, I don't even know what time like from transition to birth like there there's got to be like a six hour window somehow because it started at like 1 1 a.m but mm-hmm. I I don't remember it being that long mm-hmm. like I feel like I was in transition I had to get up out of the pool walk to the bed and then I had a baby 13 minutes later like I don't <laughs> I don't remember the span of time that happened yeah. Um, transition, like I, I felt that because I had no medication, I didn't have anything, anything going on. Like I felt the contractions start at the bottom of my belly. And then when they started mm-hmm. coming up to the top and I felt the downward motion, I was like, oh, wow. oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> this is where it's going to happen. I'm going to have to push this baby out. And all of a sudden I couldn't do it. Like I just, mm-hmm. I started saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the midwife apprentices she looked me in the eye she said Debbie you're already doing this my husband's in my ear she he said you're doing this sweetheart you're, there's mm-hmm. there's there's nothing you can do other than do what you're doing so yeah. it got me back in my headspace and I I was listening to my praise music on the tv and then um mama checked me and uh she said that the I don't know if it was like a cervical lip or it was my pubic bone or something, but there was a 
something was hampering him from coming down. Mm-hmm. So I had to get up out of the tub and my husband had to carry me. We're like every minute or two now, like there's mm-hmm. no time in between that I'm not contracting. So he yeah. had to lift me up. He His back almost threw out, walking me down the oh, hallway yeah. to the bedroom. Um, got me into the bed. The one position that I did not want to be on was on my back. And of course, that's the only way that I could be for them to make sure that he was safe and everything was positioned okay. So he had his hand like this. Oh. My midwife didn't realize that. She thought it was just like this. So she pinched his hand and it went down. So she's Mm -hmm. like, okay, we got it out. What ended up happening was he was like this and he pulled it over here. (laughs) It just went from one side of his face to the other. So when I was on my back, they had to pull his arm through, get his arm out and then his head. And then I had to flip to all fours and just, he fell out. Hmm. A 10 pound, two ounce baby. (laughs) Wow. I love that home birth story. That's amazing. I didn't know that since I I had anterior placenta, which after losses, that's the hardest thing, not knowing if your baby's okay, you can't feel him move. It was probably 24, 25 weeks before I felt him move. Um, Oh, wow. It was really, it was the exercise in faith to get the fear Mm -hmm. out. Um, Yeah. But I had the placenta was all the way up the top of my uterus. So when he came out, I couldn't pull him up to my chest. He could only be like on my belly. And I think that's what caused some hemorrhaging because we pulled on it, not knowing how short the cord was. Yeah. Um, So I ended up with a Pitocin shot and she had to get up there manually pulling clots out. And that was, that was the worst part of the entire labor completely. I'm so glad that you were able to find someone who was willing to work with you, even though you had all of these, not really barriers, but in the medical system, they are so many barriers that they put on you. So I just love how she was able to accommodate everything and make it really normalized that there's not all of these barriers and it's very individualized. You can't just put like a generalization on women. You have to look at their own individual like background and circumstances, look into their medical history and actually know them before just going and saying, you can't do that. You can't do this. So yeah, I really love that you were able to find someone who was able to accommodate for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm the type of person though, like you tell me I can't do something. I'm like, Mm -hmm. really? You think I can't? <laughs> you sure? <laughs> so I I use my home birth. I I wear the home birth mama shirts. I wear my age back mama shirts. Like I wear mm-hmm. them any chance I get because like it's a huge flex for me. Yeah, like, I, I hear it all the time. Oh, once a C section, always a C section. And mm-hmm. then um, you got people that want to say, you know, it wasn't the easy way out taking the C-section, but so many want to schedule their C-sections because they can pick the date and there's not a lot of variables yeah. going on. I'm like, you just knew how mm-hmm. awesome it can be. Yeah. Um, nobody made me feel like I was any less of a mom because I had two C-sections before. 
but mm-hmm. proving to myself that my body wasn't broken was so important to me. Yeah. And it wasn't, I had my largest baby at, <laughs> in my bed, at, in my home with my husband right there. Yeah. And I, the only thing I would change was just do a little more research on the cord and being able to see if there's anything I can do preconception or, or during mm-hmm. pregnancy that will help lengthen it or just know the position of the placenta a little better when we yeah we're not pulling on it and things like that that's that's the only thing I would change as soon as it was over I was like let's do that again (laughs) my husband's like no (laughs) (laughs) no thanks I'm okay (laughs) yeah yeah and it's always interesting that you don't really hear a lot of people who have hospital births say they want to experience that again it's usually, I never want to experience that again. Oh, yeah. It was so traumatic. And yes. with home births, moms have the baby and they're like, let's do it again. Right after. There was yep. no issue. They loved it. So that alone is just something that should make more people kind of light bulb moment. Maybe maybe I should look into home birth a little bit more. Just yeah. that alone. I, I'm in a Facebook group on um, home birth after cesarean because it's it's a huge question across the nation like why can't I have not just a home birth but just a vaginal birth after a c-section why why um is it so complicated Mm -hmm. um I see a lot of negative experiences um like transfers from home um I feel like we sometimes oversimplify um what a transfer is and why it had to take place Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as much as we want to stay outside the hospital, are we doing the physical and mental work that needs yeah. to happen to prepare mm-hmm. for a 40 hour labor for a five day mm-hmm. labor? Like, are we really prepared or are we living in a society that's always rush, rush, rush? Oh, this yeah. is just part of life. Let's get it over with and, and be done with it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I hear people transferring to the hospital just to get rest with an yeah. and just not in my experience not in my wheelhouse but um that's one thing in my doula practice I would like to be able to work with women to realize the preparation that needs to take place you can't just say oh I trust this person or I have mm-hmm. a doula you know they're they're gonna take care of me no yeah. it's 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 work it's hard work for mom mm-hmm. And mom and dad have to be on the same page. And in my practice as a doula, mom and dad need to be on the same page and they have work to do. Like I'll I'll do everything in my power to get them educated, to make the right decisions for their situation. Because their Mm -hmm. situation is not my situation. The ideal birth may not be a home birth. And that's that's okay. but I want to be available to empower others to take their authority back because that that was stolen from me. And I didn't even realize I was giving it away. I think that's Mm -hmm. a big thing. Women don't realize they're giving their authority away. Yeah, absolutely. They don't. So do you have anywhere where people can find you for your doula services? Um, I don't have a whole lot of social media interactions just yet because I am still in training. Um, Yeah. But I do have an Instagram and a Facebook page. Um, it's called Rose of Sharon Doula. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, my yeah. mother-in-law's name was Sharon, and we we lost her in 2012. So Rose mm -hmm. of Sharon. That's a great name. I'll go ahead and share all of your links down below. So if anyone wants to go and find you, they can easily just click on the link and go to your page and follow you on your uh, social medias. Yeah. Okay, thank well, you. thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, thank you for the opportunity to share. This is This is great. Of course, I really want this platform to just be a space for women to be able to share their home birth stories. Okay, well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I absolutely loved Debbie's story. I hope you all loved her story as well. I am just so thankful that we have midwives in most of our areas who are just like the midwife that Debbie had and can accommodate for their clients and not put these barriers around them when they aren't always necessary. There is a lot of generalization, especially in the medical birth world, where if you have this one label, you automatically fall under the category of not allowed to do this or not able to do this. And really, it shouldn't be that way. It should all be individualized. We should really be looking at people's medical history, diet, lifestyle, all of these different aspects before just automatically categorizing them as high risk, automatic C-section, or any of these other labels and just telling women that they're not able to have a home birth because of XYZ. We need to look at the broader picture when it comes to birth because there's really so many circumstances where a woman might have these labels in the hospital, but for a home birth, she's perfectly fine. That's not always the case, but most of the time it is. So if you're listening to this and you've been given a high-risk label or any type of label in the hospital in the past, and you believe that that might put you into a can't-have-a-home-birth category, I would suggest to go to a midwife, a local midwife, and tell them all of your information. Give them your background. Let them know everything and just see what they say. You might not be considered high risk to that midwife. There might be things you guys can go around or can compromise to make sure that you have your home birth that you want. There's no harm in just checking and asking questions. And that way you kind of know if you really should be given these labels or not. So if you enjoyed listening to that story, please leave us a review and let us know how you like this podcast. If you are really enjoying this podcast, I would love for you to join our private community over on Patreon. We do have three separate tiers that you can join. All of them have added benefits. The first tier is the book club where we read a new birth book every month. The second tier has secret podcast episodes that you are not going to hear on Spotify or on Apple. The only place you'll hear them 
is on Patreon. So you'll get exclusive secret podcast episodes. And then the very last tier will have all of that plus live workshops that I'll be hosting every month with live Q&A sessions with me. So you get a lot more one-on-one time with me at a very low monthly cost. Each of those are very low costs. So you can choose whichever you'd like if you want to choose the lowest. That's perfectly fine. Come hang out with us in our book club. I would love that. Or if you want to get all of those benefits, you can choose the highest one and you get everything. So that link will be down below and I hope you will join us on that Patreon community. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time.